Well, this morning we continue our series in drawing God. Last week we had a look at practicing the presence of God, and we looked at specific, or looked at scheduling rather, specific times to spend with God. We spoke about having a morning quiet time, and maybe adding afternoon and evening prayer to that. Some people call those practices spiritual disciplines, but perhaps a better term would be means of grace, ways in which we can begin to enjoy God. I also mentioned the idea of taking an entire day to focus on and enjoy the presence of God. And it's that theme that I'd like us to look at today, spending a day with God As we begin, let me read to you a few paragraphs from a school English essay written by a 17-year-old girl in the United States. And this is what she wrote in her English essay. Every Saturday night at 6.30, my whole house is dark except for one small candle on the kitchen table. It casts a warm glow on the faces of those seated around, my parents, six younger siblings, and commonly one or two guests. Covers are pulled off enormous platters of food, and the aromas fill the air like a cool breeze on a summer night. This is how my family welcomes the Sabbath, a weekly ritual that we've had for about 10 years. It begins at 6 p.m. on Saturday and lasts until 6 p.m. on Sunday. It's so easy to get caught up in the mixed messages around us, and we need time to slow down as a family and keep in mind what our lives are really about. The ritual of Sabbath-keeping is a radical statement that we are not God, and we trust him to hold the world together, even if we stop for one day each week. We turn off all phones and computers and refrain from watching TV, We replace them with activities that will build us up spiritually and bring us closer together as a family. This includes anything from playing guitar and singing worship songs to taking walks in the park and appreciating the beauty of the autumn leaves to playing games and being silly. On Sunday mornings, we wake up early, rain or shine, and pile into our 15-passenger van to make it to church by 9 a.m. Attending church serves as a reminder that we're part of a larger body of believers who are seeking a common goal. Sabbath is my favorite day of the week. If God chooses to give me a family someday, I would continue with this ritual. The Sabbath brings peace, love, and order to our home and family, and the benefits carry even further. I love that description. Because that is what Sabbath is about. Many of us have a negative reaction when we hear that word Sabbath. But this is the direction in which I want us to head today, not just in our sermon, but perhaps even as a church family too. Not a list of rules and regulations, but a day of enjoyment and delight in God and in the good things that he gives us. So our theme today then is enjoying God through practicing Sabbath delight. There's so much to be said on this topic that I'm going to cover it over a couple of weeks. And it's worth doing that way because this isn't something that you can easily listen to and then tick off and say, what's next? 
the ideas and the principles that we're going to consider really need to sink down deeply into our lives and transform us. To the scriptures then, which is always the most important part of our sermon, where do we read about the Sabbath day? Yep, in the Ten Commandments. So where do we find the Ten Commandments? Yeah, good. Exodus chapter 20 and actually also in Deuteronomy chapter 5. So we have it in Exodus chapter 20, just after God has brought the Israelites out of the land of Egypt. And then we have it in Deuteronomy chapter 5, which takes place 40 years later, after the Israelites have sinned and after their desert wanderings before they're about to go in to the promised land. And the two versions of the Sabbath uh, in those different sets of commandments, uh, it's slightly different Uh, And for reasons that we'll see uh, later, um, we'll look at Exodus 20 today, and then we'll have a look at Deuteronomy 5 next time. So Exodus chapter 20 and verse 8, after the command not to have any other gods, not to have any idols, not to misuse God's name, we have the fourth commandment. God says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the foreigner within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day. And made it holy. This is the word of the Lord. I think today then, practicing Sabbath delight, and we're going to have a look at it uh, as we did last week under th- uh, three headings what it is, why we practice it, and how we practice it. So, firstly, what, what, what is it? What, what are we commanded to do? In general terms, God commands us to take one day out of every seven and keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. The word holy simply means separate. Separate from the ordinary and separate to special use. But more specifically, God explains how this is to be kept holy. He says that we are to stop to rest, to delight, and to contemplate. I've pinched those headings from Pete Scazzaro's work on emotionally healthy spirituality, but he gets them out of this passage. We're to stop, rest, delight, and contemplate. So number one, we're to stop work. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the foreigner within your gates. Our world is constantly on the go, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 and a quarter days a year. Everything is go, go, go. You and I are caught up in that. The Sabbath is an opportunity to stop. (laughs) The word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which means to stop. As one writer puts it, stop working. Stop wanting, stop worrying, just stop. 
And when we stop, we do two things. First of all, we acknowledge. We acknowledge our limits. I am not indispensable. If I stop for 24 hours, the world will keep on spinning. The company will keep on going. The church will keep running. One of these days, I will stop completely and the world will go on. It's an act of acknowledgement that there is a God and I am not him. And stopping work is an act of trust. The first mention of Sabbath actually takes place earlier in the book of Exodus, in Exodus 16, before the law is given in chapter 20. Exodus 16 is that part in the story where the Israelites are out in the desert and they don't have any food and God promises to give them bread, manna. And he gives them specific instructions. He says you're to go out each morning and you're to gather just enough for that day. Don't hoard it. Don't keep it overnight. And they go out and they gather enough for that day and some people do hoard it and that night it goes off, it gets rotten, it stinks and it has maggots in it. On the sixth day, God says to the people, today you're to go out and you're to get enough for two days because tomorrow is the Sabbath. You're not to work. You're not to go out and get any. Get enough for two days. And so that sixth day they do, they get enough for two days, and that night it doesn't stink or go off. The next day some of them do go out to try and find manna, and there isn't any on the ground. This regular pattern of six days go out and collect manna, on the seventh day don't go out, rest, was a weekly act of trust that God would provide. And equally for ourselves, regularly practicing one day where we stop, where we don't work, is an act of trust that God will provide for us. Number two, Sabbath involves rest. It's interesting that besides this day of rest for the people once a week, God also gave the Israelites a command for a seventh year of rest for the land itself. So later in Exodus 23, God says, for six years you're to sow your fields and harvest the crops, but during the seventh year, let the land lie unplowed and unused. Any farmer will tell you that letting the land lie fallow allows all of the nutrients in the ground to be replenished. And when you work the soil year after year after year without rest, eventually it becomes barren. And in a similar way, working all the hours that there are, all the days that there are, without resting, eventually causes our lives, our very souls, to become barren. We actually have no record that the Israelites ever practiced a Sabbath year of rest for the land, or the year of Jubilee, which was seven times seven years. In the 50th year, all slaves were meant to be set free, and all land was to revert to its original owners. It seems that the Israelites never practiced that. And it's fascinating, although tragic, to see that when God eventually drives his people out of the land of Israel due to their wickedness and rebellion and idolatry, the Bible describes that event like this. 2 Chronicles 36, God carried them into exile to Babylon. 
The land enjoyed its Sabbath rests. All the time of its desolation, it rested until the 70 years were complete. I think there may be an important principle there. As one writer puts it, if you don't keep Sabbath, God will keep it for you. If you refuse the gift of Sabbath, sooner or later, one way or another, you will find yourself flat on your back, emotionally, physically, and or spiritually. God will force you to rest. Out of love, though, to draw you back to himself. And if you find yourself in that position today, God is calling to you in quietness and trust, even as you rest. Number three, Sabbath involves delight. In six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. <clears throat> the Hebrew word for rest can also mean delight. It's got that dual meaning, which helps explain what it means when it says that God rested on the seventh day. God certainly wasn't tired. He wasn't needing to regain his strength. Now, I think the idea is that God paused and took delight in what he had made. That makes sense because of the constant refrain that you have in Genesis chapter 1. At the end of each day, God saw all that he'd made, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. And at the end of the sixth day, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. In resting, God is appreciating, delighting in, enjoying his creation. In Proverbs chapter 8, wisdom is pictured as being with God at the beginning of creation. It's personified as this woman, Lady Wisdom. And Wisdom speaks in chapter 8 and says, I was there when the Lord set the heavens in place. I was the craftsman at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. Or think of God's words to Job in chapter 38. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? On the seventh day, God delighted in all that he'd made. And once a week, you and I are invited to take delight, to delight in the world, to delight in our lives in the world, and above all, to delight in God himself. And number four, Sabbath involves contemplating God. I think it's so significant that in verse 10, the Sabbath is not called a day of rest, but God specifically says, the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. It's not merely a day off, but rather a day to focus our attention on God. You see, what we give the bulk of our attention to is what we love the most. Now, you can possibly imagine that as a pastor, I don't consider Sunday to be my Sabbath. Sunday is a working day for me. This is where people haul out all of those old jokes about pastors only working one day a week. I had a Presbyterian colleague in Kimberley, and when people teased him about only working one day a week, he would say, actually, it's better than that. I only work two hours on a Sunday, and a good part of that time, my eyes are closed. 
I, I digress. <laughs> I've always taken Mondays off, but I'm embarrassed and ashamed to have to admit that for many years I took Monday as a day off, not a Sabbath. So I would take Monday off pastoral work, off church stuff, but I'd use it to do the shopping or get the car fixed or go to the licensing department or, quite frankly, just to sit on a couch and watch way too many movies. It's only been in the last few years that I've started taking Monday as my Sabbath. I'm slowly learning and growing. I could be doing a lot better, and I so wish that when my girls were small, we'd practice Sabbath in the way that that young lady described at the beginning of our service. But now I see Mondays as my Sabbath, a day to focus on God. I try to get out into nature, most often to Kirstenbosch or to, to Bloberg. I used to feel guilty about doing this, as if I wasn't working. But I've discovered that actually the best gift that I can give to the people around me, including you, is my own relationship with God. All that we can give to the people around us is our own relationship with God. And sadly, I think that for many years as a pastor, I operated a little bit like a travel agent who'd never been overseas. I was telling men and women about places and attractions that I'd just read about but had never seen or experienced or visited myself. And I'm working on trying to change that. I need sufficient time just being with God in order to sustain my doing for God. And so do you. So, Sabbath is a set period of time where we stop, rest, delight, and contemplate. But let's move on secondly and ask, why are we commanded to do this? Well, again, let me begin by giving a, one very important reason why we are not doing this. We don't remember Sabbath in order to make us right with God. Very important to remember how the Ten Commandments begin. God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt out of the land of slavery. The commandments that God gives do not save his people. God didn't come to the Israelites while they were slaves in Egypt and say, I'm sorry that you're in this pathetic and helpless state. Here is a book of commandments that will transform your society. Try them out for a few years and uh, I'll come back and see how you're doing. And if you're good enough, I'll rescue you. No. The Israelites are slaves. They're helpless. They can't save themselves. God comes and freely rescues them. After warning the Israelites, the Egyptians rather, again and again through various plagues, one night God goes through the land of Egypt and puts to death every firstborn son. There is a death in every home in Egypt, except that in the homes of the Israelites is the death of a lamb in place of the firstborn. God sees the blood of the lamb on the doorframe of those homes and he passes over them and then brings his people out of Egypt. And in the same way, you and I have been rescued out of our sin, not by a single thing that we have done or could ever do, but only by the blood of Jesus, a lamb without blemish or defect who has been slain for us on our behalf, taking our sin and guilt and shame. 
When we truly understand what God has done for us in Jesus, then like the Israelites, we'll want to obey out of simple love and joy and gratitude and thanksgiving. Well, if that's why, or if that's not why, we practice the Sabbath, why then do we practice it? Well, the Sabbath is in fact God's gracious gift to us. In the Sabbath, God gives us a divine rhythm for life. As one writer puts it, the syncopated beat, work, rest, work, rest, as opposed to the world's beat, which is work, 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 holiday, work, 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 holiday. It's God's pattern for life. And as I mentioned earlier, when we go against this pattern, this, this very law that God has put in the universe, when we work against the grain, as it were, then we get splinters. Jesus himself emphasized the fact that Sabbath is given to us. We know that Jesus worked against the tradition and against the legalism that had built up around the Sabbath, but he said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In Jesus' day, the Jewish people needed to hear the second part of that command. Man was not made for the Sabbath. You don't have to multiply rules and regulations that make people serve the Sabbath. But in our day, we need to recover the first part of that sentence. We're no longer legalistic about the Sabbath. Most of us don't practice it. A day off, yes, going to church, mostly. But a day of delighting in God is foreign to, to many Christians. We need to recover that first sentence. The Sabbath was made for you. It is God's good gift to us to receive the rest and the refreshment and the strength that we can only get in God himself. It's interesting that in Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 12, there's a whole block of material describing Jesus healing people on the Sabbath and speaking about the fact that he is Lord over the Sabbath. But just before that, at the end of chapter 11, Jesus speaks these famous words. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. In the context, that can only be a reference to the Sabbath. The true rest is found not in a day, but in the person in whose company we spend that day. True Shabbat, rest, is found only in Jesus. We've had a look at what Sabbath is. Stop, rest, delight, contemplate. We've looked at why we practice it not to make ourselves acceptable to God, but to welcome and receive the gift of God, which is in fact God himself. Let's ask our third question. How do we enjoy God by practicing Sabbath delight? I began with that beautiful picture of what this can look like. And we'll actually look at the how a little bit more fully next time. But I think a good starting point would be for you to go home now and make a list of all of the activities that bring you delight. Take out a piece of paper and a pen and list all of the activities that give you delight. What brings you delight? Delight in God's world and in the people that he has given to us and in God himself. What activities lead you to such delight? And then choose a day. For most of us, that'll be a Sunday, but any day will do. Choose a day to focus on rest and worship. 
I think it's helpful to think in terms of those two broad categories, because as one writer points out, they're easy and free and spacious and non-legalistic. Also, these broad categories, rest and worship, can be worked out individually. And so a Sabbath day devoted to rest and worship is going to look different to different people, depending on your age, your personality, your stage of life. It's going to look different for a 50-something pastor of a congregation made up of lovely people than it is for a working mother of two toddlers or a retired accountant or a teenager trying to get through grade 10. We all get to practice rest and worship and delight in different ways. So, make a list of all the activities that give you delight. Choose one day a week to focus on God through rest and worship. And when we do that, when we take one day and practice and enjoy God through practicing Sabbath delight, that one day changes all the other days too. Let me end with a quotation from the Christian psychologist and writer Dan Allender. This is from his book on the Sabbath. And this is what he writes. The Sabbath, when experienced as God intended, is the best day of our lives. Without question or thought, it is the best day of the week. It is the day we anticipate on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and the day we remember on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Sabbath is the holy time where we feast, play, dance, make love, sing, pray, laugh, tell stories, read, paint, walk, and watch creation in its fullness. Few people are willing to enter the Sabbath and sanctify it to make it holy. Because a full day of delight and joy is more than most people can bear in a lifetime, let alone just once a week. Let's pray together.